Welcome to This Week in Legal Blogging for December 17th, 2020, in which we talk with leading bloggers from across the legal industry. This program is presented by LexBlog, providing lawyers with turnkey digital publishing solutions and strategic consulting for 16 years. You can find out all about everything it does at LexBlog.com slash products. And a reminder, uh, if you're uh, new to the show, uh, we've been doing this for a while and we've got a, a great library of interviews with uh, some really fantastic bloggers and some fantastic conversations with them. And you can find all of those back episodes on YouTube at youtube.com slash LexBlog. We are also out there as a podcast and you can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And today, we are uh, very happy to welcome to the show Edward McNicholas. He is a partner at Ropes and Gray in Washington, D.C., where he's co-leader of the Data, Privacy, and Cybersecurity Practice. And he is also uh, an author of the firm's blog, Ropes Data Files, a blog offering practical data, privacy, and cybersecurity tips. Ed, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Good, good to talk to you. And I, I like the, the, the kind of play on words or double meaning uh, of, of the name of the blog because it's Data Files, P-H-I-L-E-S, not F-I-L-E-S. Uh, we love our data. We love our data. Indeed. <laughs> I, I, I do I do wonder sometimes whether we've met how much uh, traffic we send over to uh, Data Files with an F, but we'll do anything for a good pun. And uh <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm sure you love your. I'm sure you love your data if uh, if you're devoting your your career to doing it. Uh, but uh, you know, just before we start talking about your blog, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice. What do you do? So, uh, not surprisingly, uh, I work in privacy and, and cybersecurity, uh, which I, I think ten years from now will be referred to as data law. Um, and we are we're trying to move the term that way. Uh, some people think it might be information law. I think data law is catchier. Uh, it's an area that has been evolving, but I grew up as a litigator. Uh, you know, I, I got out of law school uh, in 1996, and so internet law was not really a big thing at that point. Um, uh, and started uh, uh, writing appellate briefs, litigating cases. I worked in the the Clinton White House. Um, uh, worked as a on the uh, uh, White House Counsel's defense team um, in an investigation involving an intern that uh, got some some media, uh -huh. and uh, then uh, after that, you might have to I refresh our recollection. Yeah, I do not. <laughs> There's enough on the internet about that. Okay. <laughs> there is, um, but then uh, uh, I still an active clearance, and so there is a, uh, a, a, a that network engineer suggested that. Uh, there might be some relationship between AT&T and the NSA, and they filed a lawsuit from the Electronic Frontier Foundation out in uh, San Francisco. And um, we had the uh, was part of the team representing AT&T in these NSA wiretapping cases, um, which was uh, a very interesting set of cases. It really got into uh, privacy and, and, and data, and then worked on any number of uh, large data breach cases uh, involving uh, Neiman Marcus, Michaels, uh, uh, Yahoo, uh, had worked on many of the largest data breaches uh, out there. Along the way, uh, really going deep into data and becoming um, 
somewhat, uh, I had a transformative moment. And when I looked at it and said, you know, people are thinking about in the legal community, we think about data as a liability. It's all about the privacy regulators and the cybersecurity regulators and what can be taken and all the things that can happen and the need to minimize data. And then I was listening to the people on the other other side, the clients saying, no, data is new oil. It's a source of value. It's a it's an asset, not a liability. And I realized that lawyers, um, and perhaps it's just uh, to our nature, uh, tend to be uh, so pessimistic and that we needed some optimism uh, and enthusiasm. In fact, some some love. And that's why we're data files, because we love data. And we have this sense that that data is a source of value. Data is creating new business models. It's doing wonderful things for our clients. And there's lots of very interesting transactions we do. And Ropes uh, has a view of data where a lot of our we our practice, yes, we do data breach. We do privacy counseling. But we also do a lot of deals in which the data is the value. Uh, and so that's the kind of the perspective that I want to bring to this, that that data can data is for good, not just something that might be stolen or regulated. But it, well, it, it, it's interesting because it's uh, d- despite that, <laughs> despite being a data file in that sense, uh, there's still plenty of uh, bad news that gets reported on your blog. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just the looking news at recently. Is the news, you know, right? British Airways fined 20 million pounds by ICO for data breach. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, OFAC it issues is advisory problem. and ransomware payments. Uh, you know, <laughs> lots of bad news out there. Well, it is true that the um, a lot of the scope of regulation here has been trying to uh, reassert privacy rights uh, or to. Uh, uh, punish companies um, uh, with respect to data breaches, yeah. um, and uh, it is it is odd. I mean, data, like the fact that companies are held liable for data breaches is always fascinating to me. If you know some um, some guys pull up and rob a bank, uh, then the police come. They don't arrest the bank manager for not securing the money better. Uh, they go after the criminals. And, but on data breaches. Um, you know, if someone steals your data, then the Federal Trade Commission shows up and says, well, we're going to fine you some more for not securing the data uh, as opposed to uh, going after the bad guys. So, right. yeah, there's, you know, it is a legal blog. There is some uh, yeah. uh, there is some bad news here and there, but we do try to bring our, our love of data law to to the fore. Yeah. And, and, but there is, there does seem to be a, a sort of a, a public sentiment that uh, when there is a major, major data breach against a major corporation uh, or organization, that somehow the corporation is at fault in that, right? I mean, there, there, there's, there's a perception of that, whether it's, uh, well, you tell me, I mean, is, is there any, any, anything to that perception? Uh, is it always just the criminal's fault or, or are these enterprises at, at fault sometimes for these, these breaches? Um, well, I guess it always does. It depends, the classic legal answer. Right? <laughs> right. Um, but uh, generally, I think it is um, uh, uh, I sound I will sound like really a defense lawyer here. Um, but it is a question of who's going to bear um, uh, the social costs of, of uh, 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 data security 
And there's a lot of plaintiff's lawyers who want to make companies into insurance companies uh, for this, you know, that they have, um, uh, uh, we had, a, um, like we have a, a, a case that I was working on a bit ago where um, uh, hackers came in and they changed the payroll numbers, uh, the pay, the, the, the check uh, uh, number, the checking account numbers in a, in a, a payroll. So that the payroll went to the hacker account and not to the right account. And then two days later, a woman walks in and says, I've suffered identity theft. No, wait, wait. If they change the payroll numbers, how did you suffer identity theft? <laughs> what? what? It, it's like saying there was a knife fight and I came in with a shotgun wound. I'm like, What's going on? And I think that there is this effort sometimes where if, if there is a, uh, a data breach, then um, the plaintiff's lawyers go in, they file a case, you know, they, they're able somehow to do a uh, investigation really fast. They can file like in two or three days. And they basically say there's a data breach, we're filing a lawsuit, and then the company has to pay. And the consumers often get nothing out of these things. They get some, yeah, some coupons right. and... Right. Um, you know, sometimes we call them pilgrims because they're early settlers. Um, <laughs> and uh, they, they, you know, they just, <laughs> it's just about the attorney's fees. And that's, you know, right. um, creating an ability for plaintiff's lawyers uh, to make money does not do anything to advance data security. So, right. yeah. I'm curious how your uh, uh, back to your 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 time in the uh, in the Clinton White House and and being involved and in helping to manage a, a particular investigation there. Uh, how has that contributed to the work you do now? Has that experience prepared you at all for representing companies uh, in in uh, cybersecurity issues? Yeah, it it is. Um, it actually has. It's very relevant. Uh, in fact. Um, uh, Monica Lewinsky, of all people, um, um, has become really a, a, a quite uh, eloquent speaker about privacy uh, because she was really um, she was really the first time that uh, the Drudge Report uh, went and picked out a civilian who was really not in the public eye. They had been the Drudge Report. The journalists have been going after politicians forever, and that's fair game there in the public eye. But she was, she was not trying to be in the public eye, and they went in and ripped apart every, you know, any everything she did in high school, her friends, her family, her connections, absolutely every last detail. And she's talked about that experience of having your your life ripped apart on the internet. Sadly, yeah. that's become a common part of the internet, where someone gets in a news cycle. And they're a private figure, and then they become, they get ripped open on the internet for someone's amusement. They wind up in some YouTube clip for 15 seconds, and they have uh, half the world laughing at them. And it's a, it's, it's not 15 seconds of, of fame; it's 15 seconds of shame. Right. And um, and it's 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 kind of uh, it's a it's it's a point where uh, privacy rights do make a lot of sense and that's there have to be some limits on this new technology um and watching how uh even an organization under investigation like the the white house was 
um, how it hurt the society within the uh, social network because people didn't trust each other as much. And if, if people, I imagine like going to college now, there has to be that sense of, well, we're not going to publish videos of each other. Right. Um, and that sense of, well, and, uh, are, you're exposing your life to the internet, uh, by connecting. Yeah. yeah, there, it, it did, it did connect up and it gave me a sense of, of privacy. And then working, uh, after nine 11 on the, on the wiretapping issues gave me a sense of, yeah. well, it's important that we use this data because people can, if we use data correctly, we can save lives. Yeah. So how do, how do we balance these things? Yeah. And, and I have to assume as a whole crisis management aspect to uh, representing corporations, at least in, in the, in the wake of a, of a data breach. Yes. One would, one would want to be very much aware of, uh, the media cycle, the election cycle, whether Congress is in session or not, um, and um, um, yeah, the, the whole political swelter of things. Yeah. So uh, I'm supposed to be asking you about your blog, which I have yet to do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, maybe you could just start by by telling us a little bit more about the blog and what you're trying to do with it, what you're covering there. So we're trying to cover uh, data privacy and cybersecurity. Uh, it is a uh, very much an international uh, blog. We have uh, developments from uh, the U.S., uh, obviously California and the California Consumer Privacy Act. But then there are um, there's a very interesting law in Washington, there's a very interesting law in New York. Uh, and so we, we will see, I think, state data breach laws and uh, state uh, personal information laws expand. Uh uh, maybe up until we get a federal law. Maybe we won't get a federal law. Maybe we will. There's certainly bills. So there's a lot of coverage there. Uh, the, the Canadians are asking for new powers uh, to be more aggressive, uh, potentially. Uh, the Europeans have become much more aggressive over the years. Uh, they've had a lot of these. It's very odd. A lot of people think that GDPR is when the European privacy law came. Like, no, they had a lot of those same norms uh, since 1995. Uh, in the data protection directive, it's just that they weren't so aggressive on enforcing them. Uh, now they are changing their enforcement. And then uh, China is doing some really interesting things uh, in terms of its um, uh, privacy laws and cybersecurity laws. And really, some of the things that we're seeing out of uh, China uh, are making us think about the nature of the Internet and kind of rethinking Internet communications uh, in general. Uh, and so that is a an area of uh, uh, we, we cover and we think it's uh, important for people to realize that there's a lot of different cultural perspectives on the Internet. Not everyone has like the First Amendment and free speech as the uh, the be all end all of the Internet. So with so with so much going on internationally, with so much going on in the United States, I, I think there are probably data breach laws. In all, all the states, most of the states. I'm, I'm not even sure. Fifty uh, four. You know, Okay, various privacy laws uh, around the country. How do you uh, decide what you're going to hone in on and focus on in the blog? Well, um, we know that there are several uh, excellent news uh, services out there that cover things in a in a newsy sort of way. Um, you know, there there are obviously, um, and we don't we're not we're not reporters. Uh, 
and we're not going to be uh, uh, we're not going to be as fast often. Uh, and when we do uh, know things, oftentimes it's because we know them from a client, and we're not, certainly not going to be right. uh, talking about things that involve clients. And so, what we try to do is provide perspective um, uh, to frame event, events and only cover those events that are important. A lot of the news services, for for better or worse. They have the same curse as the uh, 24-hour news stations. They have 24 hours every day, no matter what's going on. And some days, not much is going on. Yeah. Now, 2020, boy, there's been a lot going on. Yeah. So no one's <laughs> been uh, lacking for news this year. But um, uh, I think one of the biggest things is that uh, we help clients pick out those spots that are interesting and then uh, explain to them why we think this is interesting, like we uh, like why the Chinese privacy law is interesting, and to give them uh, news and insights that can help them uh, think about privacy law uh, and data law in the long run, and and not just focused on, you know, what's what's happening today. So you're acting as a filter in a sense. You're looking for the the stories that matter to you think matter to your clients, and then. Telling them why it matters? Is that fair to well, say? Telling them why it matters. And also trying to pull out those things that are uh, sometimes uh, they are not played up enough in the in the media, uh, in the legal media, because it just passes along. So, for instance, there was a, a case, uh, there was a TCPA uh, judgment, and it was, was it 950 or 975, but it was uh, nearly a billion dollar um, fine against a company. Uh, that uh, will surely um, put them into bankruptcy if they ever have to pay it. And this was just for marketing. Um, yeah. 925 for million, is that the one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, September. I got it in front of me. Here, so. You pulled it up. There you go. And um, that um, that case, I thought, well, geez, that um, 925 million, yeah, September 14th, Danielle Bogarts. Uh, and that case, uh, that's a death penalty for yeah. most companies to lose nine hundred twenty-five yeah. million dollars. Yeah. And um, yes, uh, you know, um, no one, no one likes. Uh, I, I shouldn't say this because my phone will start buzzing or something as I soon say. No one likes uh, uh, spam calls or spam texts or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, uh, it's not been um, a death penalty for companies, and it seems like a disproportionate, uh, excessive fine. That is beyond where companies would normally uh, expect, reasonably expect to be uh, hit for, uh, you know, maybe not getting the right uh, uh, marketing permissions. So we try to bring those things up to date. And uh, also we try to um, use it as a way for the associates uh, in the practice and the partners, but also particularly the associates to get into the area um, and grow. which is a uh, equally important thing. Like um, I was mentioning that because Daniel Bogart's an exceptional um, associate out in California, and uh, you know it, it allows her to get out there and get published and get her voice out there uh, in this area. Because one of the the keys to um, uh, Ropes and Gray is that we really believe in teamwork and collaboration, and so to do that, we want to have as many people thinking about these issues as possible. So this is a way of bringing together some of our collective intelligence uh, across the firm. 
Yeah. So who does write for the blog and how, how do you coordinate among those who write for the blog? We, we, we reach out to, there are, uh, there are uh, informal and formal groups that are focused on uh, data privacy and cybersecurity. We have a formal practice, but then we also have uh, an informal larger tent. We, we only, we work very much as one firm. Uh, it's like Danielle is a litigator. He's not formally part of the data practice, but it's a very interesting piece of litigation. Uh, and we try to be open and inclusive in doing this. And this is a way to uh, collect. And so we uh, suggest topics to people. People bring us, uh, Pringle people bring uh, topics. We have two um, editors, uh, both of whom are not partners. Uh, Fran Fairclaw, who's a senior associate, and Kevin Angle, who's a consul. Um, and they do the first cut on things. And then um, the uh, two partners that um, lead the group, myself in a in the U.S. and there's a guy Rowan Massey who's in the U.K. Um, we um, uh, try to avoid taking the credit uh, for any of their work. We let them publish in their names. Uh, uh, we do take the phone call if someone uh, missed. Uh, you know, we do take uh, responsibility for it, though. Uh, we're the ultimate, I guess, um, uh, editors of it. Uh, but we try to have it be something where the associates can feel empowered and uh, be uh, a part of the dialogue. Yeah, it's going to be great exposure uh, for associates, both uh, you know, both uh, externally and, and within the firm, I would think. Um, why did you start the blog in the first place? And uh, what, what were you hoping to do with it? Uh, mainly hoping to bring this love of data, trying to move some of the dialogue. Um, and it is an area where um, we have, we have, uh, uh, we're, we, we're focused on the healthcare market and we're focused on private equity markets and technology. Um, and these are areas where data is uh, savings lives. It is uh, making fortunes. It is uh, uh, creating new areas of value for companies and consumers. Uh, we have people who are, you know, using uh, data to develop vaccines and other good things like that. Um, and we want to make sure that that positive voice is uh, not uh, shut down. For instance, in the, and to give you an example, like under the, the general data protection regulation, they were not as clear as they could be about uh, data from um, data being used for medical research or particularly like social media data, whether that could be used for for medical research. And so some of these issues, um, uh, uh, you know, happen because we cannot get data used in a responsible way uh, for social good. Uh, there have been concerns about um, this year on contact tracing, a topic that I was never familiar with before this year, but now we have a whole bunch of people who uh, are very concerned about it. For instance, people log into their weather <clears throat> and weather is a good, good, inst good indication of where you are mm -hmm. because I want to know the weather in Washington, DC. And sometimes I look at the weather in Boston because I've got friends in Boston, but generally I look at the weather where I am. Mm -hmm. And so you can use where I am to trace um, and uh, this data is used uh, in the uh, advertising space, um, and it's a you know available uh, in data markets. But 
people weren't using it for contact tracing. People were afraid to use it because they're afraid of privacy regulations. Yeah. And I think having until 2020, <laughs> until 2020, and you know, but even early on, people came to us and said, "Hey, we want to use this type of information for contract tracing." Said, well, you know, there could be some liability about that. We needed to push some, and we needed to clarify some things in various laws to make that possible. Now, luckily, there's been some movement, and the regulators have been uh, willing to provide people with more latitude. But there's a lot of other research that uh, could happen if there were better protections for the use of data in medical research or even um, in uh, development of consumer products. If people um, if it's done in a privacy respectful way. I mean, this year must have must have raised a host of data privacy uh, issues, I mean, contract tracing being one of them. I'm sure there have been a number of issues around uh, privacy of employee health data. Um, it, it's, it's, how has it changed? How has it affected your practice, your blog this year? How, what, what have been the big issues that you've been focusing on this year? Well, we we actually we didn't post as much in this blog as we there was a we have a separate COVID resource center, okay. and we did a lot of we did a lot of posting over, um, it's you know cross linked and all that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we did some um, posting over there on privacy issues. Yeah. And there were things like, uh, no employer had ever asked me, can I take my employees' temperature as I walk into the office every day? <laughs> no one seemed to care about that. Right. And but then you find out that. Oh, well, not only does it tell you if you have a fever, but it also tells you if there are certain medical conditions that might raise or lower your temperature. For instance, being pregnant. And so then you have, well, woman walks in, has an elevated temperature, pull her side. Well, you might have COVID. No, I'm actually just pregnant. That's why my temperature is yeah. elevated. Yeah. Does she need to give a security guard a note? Do we have to make a notation of who's pregnant and who's not? All of a sudden, the privacy issues start leaping off the page. Right. Uh, with the and I assume not only are they asking about these things, but they're writing them down somewhere, keeping a record somewhere. They're not writing them down physically, but uh, this this is all data that they're accumulating. On. Yes. Well, and do you want to do you want to keep all the data to show that you are consciously scanning, or do you want to get rid of it yeah. so that there is no way it can be reused, and you can assure yeah. people that. Uh, you take the temperature, you use it, that information at the time, and then there's no record of it. Um, a more privacy-focused way of getting the same information than having it be in some infrared camera that's scanning people as they're walking in. Yeah. Um, this is uh, something else that there, – there's been an impression this year that perhaps there have been – more uh, data breaches, more ransomware attacks. I mean, I've seen that impression reported in the general media, and I wonder if you're seeing that in your practice or if it's just that for some reason these things are coming to attention uh, more than they had in the past. There's been a lot more ransomware, and also the market for ransomware has shifted dramatically. Uh, before a ransomware attack, people would often ask for um Couple hundred dollars, maybe a thousand, ten thousand dollars to yeah. release the servers. Yeah, in Bitcoin. And we've of seen people that that has gone up, um, an or a couple orders of magnitude. Yeah. Um, sometimes more than that, and what people are demanding for ransomware. 
And that, um, you know, if it's a thousand dollars to unlock some servers, that comes out of IT's budget and people move on. Uh, if you ask for $10 million, that's a different level of authorization and a different level in the company. Um, and, um, you know, you're, you might not call law enforcement over the $1,000 uh, ransom, you're going to call law enforcement over a $10 million ransom. Right. And in, in one of the articles I was reading uh, on your blog as I was preparing for this was talking about uh, the issue of, uh, I mean, companies have to have to consider the legal implications of whether or not to pay a ransomware. Not only the data issue implications yes. or the financial implications, but there are legal implications, right? Well, and that that, that is been something uh, your uh, OFAC, um, uh, which uh, generally tries to enforce U.S. sanctions by making sure that uh, companies don't do business with terrorist groups and rogue states, uh, certainly something everyone get behind. We don't want to. Yeah. No one wants to fund Al Qaeda, um, but um, they, um, as really as part of the sign of how just uh, uncoordinated, uh, discombobulated the cybersecurity policy has been. Uh, over the past four years, um, that uh, there has been, they issued, much everyone's surprise, this statement saying that if a company makes payment, payment that goes to uh, a terrorist organization, then they could have OFAC liability for making payments to a terrorist organization. But of course, ransomware payments are, you know, this is the specter, I have your data, send the money to this account and you get your data back. The specter never says, hi, I'm Al-Qaeda. Right. Um, and, and they use different accounts all the time, and they're constantly changing. They're really big on not letting you know who they are. And so in the middle of a data breach, uh, companies are now calling up our, our our sanctions council. Luckily, she's right down the hall, so I'm a, uh, we're okay with that. But I, I have to walk down the hall and say we need to run these uh, Bitcoin accounts to make sure that they're not – uh, used by Al-Qaeda. But even if we run them today and we make sure that no, there's no indication that today these accounts are used by Al-Qaeda or whoever, we don't know that they're, we don't know who's actually behind these accounts because right. they're trying, you know, if if we knew who they were, we would have them arrested. We wouldn't pay them money. Yeah. Uh, so coming back to your blog again, when yes. did you start this blog? We started it, well, uh, I moved over to Ropes and Gray about a um, year and a half ago now, uh, and um, we uh, were pulling together. There were uh, a good number of people here, a great healthcare privacy team, uh, excellent litigation team, uh, EU privacy team, um, and uh, uh, we wanted to do this to bring people together across the firm in a common project. Um, and this is one of the ways we've really tried to uh, bring people together and collaborate uh, uh, across the firm and, and have people who, you know, I don't care if they're in the healthcare group. Uh, if they're interested in data, I want them to be involved in the blog. And if they're doing transactions in the a transactional group in London, great. If they're doing something interesting with data, I want them to be sharing that because our clients don't care about what practice group we're in. They care about the information. Right. Um, and so using this blog as a way to bring it together and uh, help build a, a cohesive group across the firm. 
Yeah. Had had you been involved in blogging before you got this blog going? Uh, yes. Yes, I was. There was we we started a blog at my old firm, uh, which is which is still running. Yeah. So for how long have you been blogging in one form or another? We actually it was it was funny. Uh, well, on and off for I would say fifteen years. Um, there was uh, a group of financial institutions that wanted to pay us to do a blog at my old firm, uh, but then it then it uh, fell apart because I said, wait, wait, all this stuff is on for free. Why are we paying you to write this stuff? Yeah. Uh, and he said, ah, oh, that would have been great to do a, a a blog with a paid subscription of of ten financial institutions, but yeah, alas, that business <laughs> model uh, <laughs> no. is a uh, is long, long gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so how would you, uh, given that you've done it before, and given that uh, you started it again when you when you moved here, I, 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 how, what's how is it? How would you assess blogging? How has it impacted your practice? How has it impacted your career? How has it impacted the firms you're, you've been at? I think it's helpful for visibility, and I also think it's it's helpful for. Uh, clients to it to be a, a place where they can come and and learn about uh, issues. A lot of the cases that we work on are very large, complex matters, um, and you know this gives clients. Uh, the blog is one of the things that give clients comfort of. Oh, these people know what they're doing, and it's a way of providing um, comfort and information to clients. Um, yeah. And also, yes, we we also uh, notice that. Uh, other law firms read our blog too, uh, and and that's fine. It's part of the discussion of legal developments with other lawyers. And you know, although we're supposed to be uh, sharp-elbowed sharks, um, in fact, there is a, a good amount of this about that sharing information and sharing perspectives on legal developments. Being at the end of the day, we're all interested in long-run development of the law and the uh, preservation of our liberties. Yeah, I would think, even, especially in the in the field of of, of data filism, data, <laughs> whatever you want to call that. I mean, there would be a lot of collaboration and collegiality among uh, professionals in that area. There, it is. It is. A, it's a. It was until five years ago, ten years ago, maybe at this point, it was a very small bar right. uh, of people who've been doing it for a, a while, and a lot of times we know each other. Uh, and um, off, it's also a part of the bar where the uh, technology, the edge of the technology, the edge of academia, and the edge of private practice are arm in arm. Uh, things are constantly growing, constantly changing. Uh, I, I teach it, uh, uh, people getting LLMs at GW Law School in their cybersecurity program as, an, as a, a lecturer. And... Um, you know, I'm constantly interested in what the student, their backgrounds that are coming in because they're coming in as practicing attorneys. And uh, I think it's an area where the academic, technological and legal exchange is particularly robust. And that scholarly dialogue helps all of us. Yeah. Uh, along the, the way uh, of blogging, have you identified any kind of what you would consider best practices about how to blog or, or what not to do in blogging? Don't write blogs about your clients. <laughs> Is that an absolute rule? I mean, you know, not every firm <laughs> follows that rule. Uh, yeah, we, certainly we, not every we, firm we follows it if their client is in the news or has been, you know, 
in a reported case or something like that. But our, our clients have PR. Our clients have PR, uh, public relations, media relations people, and they will handle it themselves. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we we are we are doing this uh, out of interest of the law. We're not, and we're not, we're not trying to get uh, clients by saying, "Oh, we won this motion to dismiss, and we can win your motion to dismiss." Uh, you know, each case is different. Uh, and it's not, it's not, uh, advertising. I know some attorneys go into it as a way of advertising their, their trial victories or something. That's, that's not our goal. Okay. Don't write about your clients. Anything else? Uh, um, be nice. That's, I think one of the (laughs) key things, there's so much, uh, anger, uh, and vitriol on the internet. Uh, I think, um, uh, having a, a civil tone of, uh, exchange, um, and, recognizing that people on the other side of the V have a certain perspective and that we can have a constructive dialogue. Uh, that's been lacking uh, as of late in our, our civic exchange. And uh, I think we can model what um, a good dialogue about uh, legal matters should look like. Yeah. Well, especially given that you're, you're saying that coming from Washington, DC, it's uh, all the more, uh, all the more important. Uh, anything else that you'd like to say about your blog or your practice or anything else before we wrap up today? Don't I have to say read, like, and subscribe, or you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. data files, uh, ropes data files dot com. I haven't even said that yet. Exactly with a ph. With a um, ph. Indeed. Um, I guess that's that's it. We uh, we appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Um, it's been nice to talk about legal blogging and our 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 interesting tangents uh, during the course of this half hour. Uh, pleasure yeah. to meet you. Yeah, well, it's been a real pleasure to talk with you, and I, I appreciate your taking the time out of your, I'm sure, busy day to do it. So it's it's been great. Uh, we've been talking again with Edward McNicholas, partner at Ropes and Gray, co-leader of the data privacy and security cybersecurity practice there, and we've been talking about their blog, Ropes Data Files. And if I have to remind you now, it's P-H-I-L-E-S, then you haven't been listening for the last half hour. Uh, but uh, thanks a lot, Ed. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, thanks to all of you for watching. We will be back. Well, we won't be back next week, will we? But we'll be probably be back in two weeks, maybe. I'm not sure what our schedule is. Uh, but uh, watch for us. Watch for our next episode coming up sometime soon. Thanks for listening. This is Bob Ambrosi. 